From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. One of my favorite and rather mysterious characters from the Advent story is St. Joseph. He doesn't say anything in scripture, and we know pretty much nothing about him at all. Yet there are a few figures more central to the story of our faith community. So I asked my friend, Sister Colleen Gibson, if she could help shed some light on this shadowy member of the Holy Family. Sister Colleen is a sister of St. Joseph of Philadelphia, so I figured she had spent some time praying and reflecting on her community's patron. Unsurprisingly, given Sister Colleen's intelligence and creative gifts, she brought multiple perspectives on St. Joseph I had never considered before. We also talked about her own vocation story of becoming a millennial religious sister, plus a bit of the story of the Sisters of St. Joseph themselves, it's a community that was founded in France by a Jesuit back in 1650. It was fascinating to hear her talk about how Ignatian spirituality has been woven into her community's charism since the very beginning. Finally, I asked Sister Colleen to tell me about her own new podcast project, which she's co-hosting with another sister of St. Joseph named Erin McDonald. Their show is called Beyond the Habit, and they've just released their first few episodes. If you'd like some more Advent content from us here at the Jesuit Conference, you can sign up for daily email reflections at jesuits.org advent22 and register for a free evening of reflection on Zoom at jesuits.org adventprayer. I'll drop some more info on each of those resources in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Sister Colleen Gibson, welcome to AMDG. How you doing? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's great to chat to an old friend on the podcast. And we're talking about a little bit about Advent to start today, getting ready for Christmas. And the reason I, I wanted to ask you about Advent specifically is because you are a sister of St. Joseph. And St. Joseph, who is, I don't know, is he an underrated saint? I think he might be because he doesn't have any words in scripture, and he's kind of just there hanging. But I think a lot of the time we just take him for granted and don't like really think about what does that mean? What What is his part of the story here? Um, what is the Holy Family story? So I wanted to use you as a sister of St. Joseph, literally as his sister, you know, um, to see your reflection, hear about what you think about him, um, and then from there go into some other fun stuff. So well, that's awesome. Yeah, tell I me about him. your – Tell me about your relationship with uh, with St. Joseph. Who is he to you? Yeah, I mean, I love St. Joseph. Um, I grew up in a parish, actually. That's, you know, me and Mike go way back. Uh, That's right. Central Jersey, you can hear it in our voices. Mm -hmm. um, but I grew up in, in a parish, the parish community of St. Joseph. So I've had a connection to St. Joseph my whole life. Um, but I think the thing that I love about St. Joseph is his hiddenness. You know, he's... Joseph is a creator, you know, he's a carpenter, he's an artisan. Um, but the only things that we know about him are through the people who he knows, the relationships that he had, the way he mm. shared his love, uh, the way in which he created things in the world. Um, and, you know, often people say like, you know, what's your favorite St. Joseph quote? This isn't good for an audio format, but like right. my favorite St. Joseph quote is, well, there you go, dead air. Like, <laughs> because he, he doesn't say anything. Right. Um, and so I love that about Joseph. We often say, like when our sisters are together, you know, we know who Joseph was because of the man that Jesus became. 
Uh, you know, we're always a reflection of our parents. And so we, we know certain things from the gospel about Joseph, uh, that he was, you know, this quiet figure because we never hear from him, but also that he was a dreamer. You know, he has these three dreams in the gospel of Matthew uh, that lead him. He, he, and they also call him a just man. You know, he's a righteous man. So he finds out that Mary is pregnant. Uh, he's betrothed to be married and he decides that he's going to divorce her quietly. And then he goes to sleep and he has this dream where God says, oh no, take her into your house. So like he had really chosen at the time to do the just and the right thing would be to divorce her uh, and just kind of like move, move on and we can get past this whole hubbub and it'll save face for her. She won't be stoned to death, which would have been kind of a punishment for adultery if they could have approved it. Um, but God says, and in this dream, you know, the angel says to Joseph, no, take her into your house, like build this relationship and something great will come out of it. You know, this Messiah, uh, God with us will, will be born. Uh, and then all through, you know, the stories that we hear at Advent and we hear at Christmas time, it's Joseph being a dreamer and listening to those dreams and listening to God. And so I love that about Joseph is that, you know, he, he knew the right thing to do, but God knew a better thing to do. And Joseph was wise enough and in tune enough with God to be able to listen to that and, and to change his mind. And mm. ultimately he accompanies people, you know, he accompanies the Holy family to Egypt. He accompanies Mary all through their relationship, all through their life. And, I, I think, you know, he's underrated. Joseph is underrated, but he's also the universal patron or he's the patron of the universal church, uh, which I think people forget about. You know, he's this quiet guy who is often pictured as an older gentleman, uh, you know, the patron of a happy death, but mm. he's also the patron of the entire church. And so I think for a lot of us, uh, you know, we might not be remembered for the things that we said or, you know, what we did, our names may not go down in the annals and in the canons. I may not be a St. Colleen, but I'll be remembered in some way. And Joseph, I think, is speaks to that. His life speaks to that, that, you know, we're remembered for the impact that we have in the relationships that we have and the impact that has on the world. And that can change the world. Um, so it doesn't matter who you are. You can always have an impact. And Joseph kind of assures us of that in a quiet and a loving way. Yeah, I, I love. Well, there's so much there to unpack. We could well each. I feel like each of those points you made could be its own podcast series. Uh, but like the, the, the idea of Joseph as well, yeah, as creator, as the accompany, accompanist, the company, or the one alongside um, in difficult things, the one who changes his mind. Right, that that sense of mm -hmm. being open to that. To and that's to me reminds me of like our Ignatian concept of like a, a freedom or indifference, the sense that. You don't cling so tightly to what you think is the right thing to do because there could be something different that might be a better good. So to be able to hold those things lightly. And so you see that in Joseph. I'm just thinking of that now and the way you're reflecting on it. And yeah, as, as patron of the universal church, not not a like a theologian um, or someone who did a lot of talking, uh, but that, that kind of quiet steadiness is interesting. I have found like even going through like the the spiritual exercises which I did mm -hmm. through the 19th annotation, which is like the spiritual exercises in your everyday life, finding mm -hmm. like, well, imagining myself with Joseph, finding like a new kinship. Mm -hmm. Like it's a dad of young kids too, like the sense of like wonder, like kind of the wonder and awe at a young child and kind of imagining um, him as a someone accompanying me in that, like not necessarily knowing what to do, right? I feel like it's the kind of the Holy Family, those early stories 
like, yeah, this is a kind of crazy yeah. thing we've been thrown into and we don't know what to do, but. Um, well, and I think he, he offers hope, like in a season of Advent where, you know, joy, love, faith, but like hope is really important to this season. I think it's really important to our world right now that Joseph really is a hope-filled figure, you know, that he offers, he has a plan, but he's willing to change and, and God works with him in, you know, all that he is to make something new and beautiful. Um, and I love that example from the 19th annotation. I think because because we don't know a whole lot about Joseph, we can build a relationship in a new and wonderful way with him as a saint. And like to do Ignatian prayer and Ignatian contemplation, where you can really sit down and have a conversation. And I would imagine for you, like as a father, that there's a whole other connection to Joseph. There. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah what it came from, really. And like in my, like the imaginary, like the composition of place, right, where you put yourself into the the scene, it was me and Joseph and him holding uh, the baby Jesus, like in the cave, you know, the manger with Mary napping. And like that was the, and then just kind of laughing at like, what are we, <laughs> it reminded me of being at the hospital, right, with newborn, like, I have no idea what to do. But like that kind of sense of uh, the, like the, the joy and adrenaline, and just kind of being present with him in that. But also that I, I love the way you highlighted that we know him only it's through the relationships that we know him, mm-hmm. that it's not like a solitary figure, but only in the context of his relationship with Mary and with Jesus and within their community is like where his story comes. Um, and that kind of, he exists in really and never outside of that relationship. It's in that relationship, um, which is cool to think about too. And I'm curious for you as someone, again, who has added to your name, Sister of St. Joseph, and you mentioned you're, you know, growing up in that, in that parish, but like, how do the sisters or how do you kind of think of that being under his name? How does that guide you? What is the connection there? Because um, I think of Sisters of St. Joseph, like, you're not really known for being like the quiet types, <laughs> like, uh, like willing to speak up and to like speak out on behalf of justice, to like stand up to church leaders when you need to, to uh, tell students at your schools that they're, you know, need to change yeah. what they're doing. Anyway, so like, yeah, how do you connect uh, uh, with, with him that way? Yeah, I think in community, uh, or as Sisters of St. Joseph, I love that you say, like, we don't bite our tongue, but uh, it's ingrained in us early on in our formation, kind of this hiddenness, you know, like Sisters of St. Joseph, we say, we're all about relationships. And that's really the core of who we are, um, is our relationship. So we may speak up and speak out, uh, but it's always about relationships. We say, like, if you want something done, ask a Sister of St. Joseph, because she'll ask seven other people. And we'll all work together as a community mm. to make a difference. So like a sister St. Joseph never does things on her own. We are always a part of a community. Um, and we understand like in our documents, when we talk about St. Joseph, we say he's a model of cordial charity, uh, mm. which means, you know, uh, cordial, like a cordial, when you drink a cordial at night, uh, you know, like it warms you up, like it, it brings you into a relationship. It opens you up to how the spirit might be moving. And then this sense of charity, like it's, it's about love is what it comes down to. And so we talk about like our love of God and love of neighbor without distinction. Um, but for us, St. Joseph is really a model of how we're supposed to live our life that we might be hidden. We might try to be in the background, um, but we're trying to build relationships to make a difference in the world and to witness to God. Because I think that's another thing that Joseph does is like 
look at all these Christmas cards that you're going to get during the Advent season. Like, look at where Joseph is in those nativity seats. Like, he might have his head in his hands, like, oh my goodness, what has happened? He might be, you know, his head dreaming, looking off at something else, but he's there. And so, you know, to pay attention to how we're engaged in this, but he's there to witness too. He's there to witness to this event that changes the course of history, changes the course of each one of our lives, this birth of Christ. Um, and so for us as sisters of St. Joseph, it's witnessing to God alive in the world, it's witnessing to the incarnation. Um, so it's a fun little connection with Joseph, you know, that he was there to witness it in that, that moment, that particular moment in history when it happened. And for us as sisters of St. Joseph, each and every day, I'm blessed to witness to God coming alive in whether I'm serving, you know, students in campus ministry, whether I'm listening to people's stories, serving people at a food pantry, in a classroom learning, like I'm witnessing God come alive in my midst. And so in that way, you know, we're just like St. Joseph. I want to learn more now about you like entering into this community of witnesses. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your vocation story. How did you come to to, to join the, the SSJs and uh, yeah, if you could kind of give us some of that, that background and, and uh, share the story. I know it's always interesting to hear people's journeys since uh, if you've heard one vocation story, you've heard one vocation story. So I want to hear yours. <laughs> it's very true. Um, yeah. So I met the sisters of St. Joseph. Uh, I met them through the Jesuits actually, you know, it's fitting here on this podcast that I mm. talk about it, but you it always know, comes I, back to the Jesuits, doesn't it? it the Jesu I, you know, I'll tell you this story and the Jesuits are tricky, you know, they're sneaky, uh, <laughs> sne sneaky Jesus, you know, um, the Jesuits get things done, but they pay attention to the spirit. But I went my undergrad work. So growing up my parish, I didn't go to Catholic school. I went to public schools. Um, we didn't have sisters in my home parish. And so probably when I was 13 or 14, middle school, uh, I started thinking about being a sister because we were very involved in my parish. Like my parents taught my CCD classes. Um, we did service as kids. We were very, we did CYO, we played basketball, all of those things. And I remember seeing, you know, priests and people in my parish who were active. And I thought, there's got to be women who do this in a mm. particular way in the church. Mm. And, and then thinking about, okay, sisters, that seems to be a pathway. And then I thought, this is crazy. Like, I've never met a sister. Why would I ever think about this? And so kind of dismissed it because I only knew, you know, Whoopi Goldberg from Sister Act and Maria from The Sound of Music. And so when I went to Fairfield University as an undergrad, um, my freshman year, I met with a Jesuit and I said to him, uh, we were meeting privately and I just said, you know, I'm thinking about being a sister. And he said to me, are you going to quit college to join the convent? And I said, that's crazy. <laughs> like who, who does that? I mean, there was a day and age when people would do that, but sure. in 2005, when I was uh, at Fairfield as a freshman, uh, people were not doing that. I was like, my family would kill me if I did that. And I was like, and I don't even really, I don't think I want to be a sister. So no, uh, I'm not going to leave. And he said, well, if you're not going to leave, then you might as well just forget about it. And he paused, you know, a good pause. And then he said, but if it comes back, you have to pay attention to it. And it's a tricky Jesuit statement, you know, tell an 18 year old to forget about something. Uh, and I couldn't forget about it. It was, it was implanted. And then, you know, I, I did 
all of the things you do in college. And it was wonderful. In my senior year, I was at World Youth Day, a Magis program in Australia. Uh, and I was with a dear friend who's a Jesuit. And we were looking out over Sydney Harbor. And he said to me, you know, what are you doing with your life? And at that point, I was interning um, at a magazine in New York City, and I, I wanted to be a writer. And so I said, you know, I think I'm interning at this place. I think they're going to offer me a job. I think I'm going to take it and I'm going to be a writer and that's it. And he looked at me again and he said, no, what are you doing with your life? Mm. And I realized, oh, oh, we're having that conversation. <laughs> we're having a vocation conversation. Uh. And we had never, I knew this guy for four years uh, and we had never had that conversation. And so he said, you know, you, you are Ignatian through and through. And he said, you know, SJ, he said, you just add another S and you have the SSJs. He said, you should really look at the sisters of St. Joseph because they're Ignatian and you're Ignatian. Um, and so pay attention to these things. So fast forward, I went home, got back from Australia. And he said, you have to take a step. And if you take a step, then you'll know if it's right or not. But if you never take a step, you'll never know. Mm. So when I got home, I went online and I filled out a quiz. There are these quizzes online through the National Religious Vocation Conference. And you, you check all the things you're interested in. Do you want to be a missionary? Do you want to be a contemplative? Bah, bah, bah. So I checked a whole bunch of things and I matched 250 congregations in the United States. <laughs> they need to, and, they need to like refine this quiz. Well, I needed to refine my answers. I didn't know what I wanted. Uh, I just knew, oh, there's some, this idea keeps on coming back to me mm. and I have to pay attention to it. And so, um, but I remembered what that Jesuit said. And when the sisters of St. Joseph reached out to me, uh, as a person who loves words, like a writer, um, the language that our vocation director used in the email back to me um, talking about, you know, this love of God and a love of neighbor without distinction, um, a unioning love, union and reconciliation, these things stirred something in me. And I thought, oh, I need to pay attention to mm. this. And so I did. I went and worked in the city. I worked at this magazine, just like I had told this Jesuit, just like Joseph saying, you know, I've got a plan and we're set. And I started to realize, like, I need to be with people. Um, I was working this great job, and it was a great community. But I sat at my desk all day, and I had wonderful conversations with people on the phone whose magazines had gotten lost in the mail. And the vocation director in Philadelphia, this sister who's kind of in charge of people who might be interested in the community, mm. she, she just called out of the blue and said, you know, do you want to come for a weekend and just visit? And I had, like, reached the point where I thought, there's, there's got to be more. To this life and I can take my pen and I can write anywhere, but I need to check this out. And mm. so I ended up, I went and visited and then I ended up, I quit my job uh, and I went and volunteered in Philadelphia. I did a volunteer program that we had and I didn't tell the people I was volunteering with the other young women mm -hmm. uh, because I didn't want to be the freak who, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, who's the freakish girl who's looking at religion. Well, I, that's when I met you was you, you were yeah. doing that program and I didn't know you were uh... Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, because that's that's a weird thing to lead with. Sure. <laughs> hey, I'm thinking about being a sister. It's nice to meet you. But it was there that I encountered our sisters. Mm. Um, and I realized these women are on fire uh, for, for God and for Jesus. And I thought I really look up to them. And then at a certain point in the midst of that year, I thought I don't just look up to them. I think I am one of them. Hmm. And that started the whole process of like, okay, now I think I'm ready to start this process of formation. And then for the last what, oh, last 11 years now, um, it's been a process of like 
coming to be and become a Sister of St. Joseph. And I mean, people reflected back to me once I made that choice and like started down the road of formation. I mean, friends and loved ones, some thought I was crazy. They were like, why would you ever do this? You have, you have so much potential. Why would you throw it away oh, in this way? Uh, but other people said to me, you know, when you talk about the sisters, when you talk about God, when you talk about the ministry that you're doing, you light up. Like mm. you, you are fully yourself. And so, you know, you couldn't be happier. Uh, and we see that in you. And so it was good to hear that reflected back. You know, it wasn't just, oh, I'm encountering this. It's, it's all about relationships. You know, oh, my yeah. relationships were, they were saying, you are your fullest and truest self when you're doing this. So you got to keep doing it. Mm. And I see that even through the screen right now when you're going. I was like, oh, yeah, this is it. Mm -hmm. I can tell. <laughs> um, and so it's so fun to hear you talk about that. And so since kind of joining up formally, like what are some of the things for folks who might not know that go into life as a, a sister of St. Joseph? What are some of the things you've been involved with and are, are doing now? Yeah, so Sisters of St. Joseph are unique um, in a certain way. Like our our mission, I feel like I keep on repeating it, but it's it's this unioning love. So it's about our relationship with God and other people's relationship with God, but also our relationship with, we call it our dear neighbor. So it's the next person who you encounter. Hmm. We're a French congregation, so it's voisin, the next person. Um, and so we really can serve in any way. You know, we're not restricted to only teaching or only medical work. Uh, and so in my life as a sister of St. Joseph, I started out working in a parish in North Philadelphia, and I was really kind of a community organizer. I would go out into people's homes and I would say, you know, tell me your story, which mm. as a writer, I loved. Like, mm. tell me your story. And then how can we as a parish help you? You know, oh, you need, you, you just came to this country and you have no furniture. Like we are literally sitting on the ground in your living room. Uh, me as a complete stranger, you've welcomed me into your life. And so I'm hearing about how you came here and what you need. Maybe we can get you a couch from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Or, oh, your kids, your, your kids don't have enough to eat. Oh, we can get you stuff from the food pantry. So I've worked in parishes uh, in North Philadelphia. I've done uh, a little stint uh, in my kind of as a novitiate, which is like, you know, you're not, you're not quite sure yet. You're still testing the waters. Mm -hmm. um, I worked in a Montessori classroom. Uh, I visited our sisters in social service settings, in education settings. And then once I made first vows, I served as a campus minister, college campus minister at Chestnut Hill College in Philadelphia uh, and was blessed by that experience. It's a small Catholic liberal arts college. And so uh, as a campus minister, I was kind of a jack of all trades. You know, we did service immersion work. We did retreats, did day to day. And my desk was in the center of campus ministry. So anybody who came in, I feel like the story I just told you about becoming a sister, I told that story at least <laughs> once a week because students would just wander in and be like, mm. well, tell me, tell me about why, why would you do this? <laughs> like, And who are you? And, right. and what is this? So um, I did that for a couple of years. And then I was in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, and the Sisters of St. Joseph Neighborhood Center uh, is a new ministry. It was founded in 2017. And I was on the founding ministry team uh, for that. And it was because of my previous experience uh, in the inner city that they said, you know, our sisters had been in the city of Camden for 120 years. We had run, we ran the Catholic school system. We taught but we had never had what we call a sponsored ministry, a work that was particular to the congregation. 
in the city of Camden. And so they said, we're going to send a team of you to Camden and you're going to find a site and you're going to talk to the neighbors. You're going to go out on the street and meet people and ask them if you could do anything for your neighborhood, what would you do? And so we did that. We did that for a couple of years and we ended up partnering uh, with a Lutheran church in Camden who rented us an old Sunday school. And we, we came in and we renovated the space. And then based on what our neighbors told us and what neighbors came in and needed, um, we partnered with all of our neighbors to teach you know English to non-native speakers. We ran food pantries. We had a community garden. Um, we did all sorts of community organizing. Um, and I was really blessed by those years to see our mission in action and to say like, you know, no sister can do it on her own. Mm. Um, we, we're always a part of a community. And so it was asking the question, you know, if you could do anything for your community and then not saying, okay, we'll do that. It was, mm. okay, we as a community, what would you do for your community? Okay. How do we do that together? Um, and so it was, it was really a blessing to be in Camden for those years uh, and to design programming and, you know, all the stuff I threw out when out of my mind <laughs> when I became a sister about like, you know, carpet samples and how to design <laughs> spaces. It all had to come back when, sure. we, when we had to renovate the space. And now uh, after kind of getting the neighborhood center up and running, um, I, I discerned that I was being called to go back to study. And so now I'm at Boston College. Uh, studying for a master's in theological studies at the School of Theology and Ministry. And so I've been blessed for the last year and a half um, to be able to take in all of this wonderful wisdom and knowledge uh, and to learn more about our tradition and our faith and hope to be able to go and put that out in practice. Yeah. Do you know like what you, do you want to do academic theology? Are you like studying a particular branch of theology? What's your, what are your studies focused on? Yeah, so I'm interested in practical theology. And so it's really, you know, where does the rubber meet the road? You know, the theory is wonderful, um, but facts have faces. And I, you know, recognize that when I was in Camden, every place that I've ever ministered, you know, it's not just statistics. It's not just, you know, the incarnation is about people with flesh and a God who becomes one with us. And so practical theology uh, is really where I kind of find my home. And so it's, it's about recognizing that and, and saying theology has a way to influence our world. Uh, and these theological concepts can be transformative in the way that we interpret our social situation, the way we interpret the events of the everyday, uh, the way in which we practice our spirituality. Because, you know, the way in which we pray, the way in which we practice is a big reflection of the things that we believe. And so really looking at those things. So that's what I've spent the last, you know, year and a half studying and, and preaching the gospel of that, saying like, there's good news here. You know, we got to live our faith. Sure. That's great. And so at BC, Jesuits around there, Fairfield undergrad, Jesuits around there, Jesuit friend challenging you to think about your vocation. Um, and the Sisters of St. Joseph are Ignatian in their spirit. I feel like if you made a list of Ignatian women's congregations that have like a lot of the same kind of spiritual hallmarks of the Jesuits there, there, not to say that you're just like the women Jesuits. I, I think that's not fair to your distinctiveness, but there is like a history too, like being founded by a Jesuit at the congregation. And, and that is one of the things I've wanted to talk to you about for a long time is to make that connection between 
um, the ignition spirituality, which I, one thing I like about being a lay person with the Jesuits is like saying, no, this is not just for like our club of people who are priest or brothers or have the SJ on their name, but for everyone. Um, and as a way of proceeding, uh, being in the world, way of noticing God at work in your life. Um, and so I, I love like what a little bit I know of the, the history of a, a Jesuit uh, kind of founding the congregation and then I think helping to shape that um, – you know, the spirituality and the the work that you all do. So can you, have you done any like history work? Do you know, what do you know about the kind of Ignatian connection, <laughs> whether historically or the way it's lived out now? Um, oh, yeah. With I the mean, Ignatian we, stuff. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we say, you know, we're Ignatian with a Salish, in a Salishian climate. So we were founded in 1650 in South France. So Le Puy en Valais. Uh, it's beautiful. If you ever want to go, you can start the Camino. From there, mm. pilgrims leave every day. Mm -hmm. um, but it, in 1650, St. Francis de Sales was huge. He was like, you know, the Jim Martin of his time or, you know, the <laughs> Richard Rohr. Everybody knew St. Francis de Sales. And so it was just like in the ether. People were breathing mm. it in. But this Jesuit, Jean-Pierre Madai, um, he was a teacher. He was also the bursar in his local community. He was very bright. And they sent him out on a preaching mission. And so he would ride on a donkey all through south of the south of France. And he ended up in these little towns and he was preaching missions. And he met women who said, you know, we want to live, live out our faith commitment. This thing that you're talking about, you know, like finding God in all things, very Ignatian spirituality is kind of what he was preaching. Mm. He said, we want to do that. And at that time, women really only had, you know, you could get married. Mm -hmm. Um, or, or, or you were under the care of, you know, a male, a male member of your family, or you could enter the convent, which mm -hmm. meant a cloister, which right. meant you were not going to be out and active. You were going to be primarily doing a ministry of prayer, mm -hmm. uh, might've been teaching, but you were going to be in the confines of the convent. And so mm -hmm. these women came to him and said, you know, we want to do this. And so what he did is he taught them Ignatian spirituality. He did what he wasn't supposed to do. You mm. know, the, the Jesuits are, were not at that time supposed to pass on the rule. Like mm. no, nobody was saying, Hey, Jean-Pierre, why don't you go found a, a congregation of women? That would be great. <laughs> right. uh, but he went out and he was preaching and these women really were engaged by it. And so he passed on the rule and Ignatian spirituality and this charism to our first six sisters. And so mm. what they would do is uh, they gathered in a little kitchen in Le Puy en Valais, and he told them, go out and circle the city with love. And so it meant that they took the city and they divided it in six parts. Mm. And each one would go to a different section and do whatever you know she felt called to do. So one was a hospital administrator. Of the six, only one could read and write, and it wasn't the hospital administrator. Wow. Uh, it was a different one. And so, but they would go out during the day and encounter people and work to make a difference. They dressed like widows because that was the only way that a mm. single woman could be out and about. And that's mm. where you know the habit, the religious habit of the black comes from is that huh. was what her sister's war at the time. It really was subversive because you, you women couldn't be out and about doing this work uh, unless they were, they had been married and their husband had died. And so huh. they went out and did that. And then at night they would come back to that kitchen and they would do something that we still do to this day. We call it sharing the state of the heart. And so you come back and you talk about the experience you've had, but you talk about how God is working in your life. Um, and it's, it's 
a form of, you know, faith sharing, but it's also, it's deeper than that. You know, it's, it's a communal discernment. It's a, it's a sharing the state of your heart um, to say, you know, where is God leading me and where is God leading us? And so Jean-Pierre planted these seeds that then, you know, flourished in these first six women and it took off. I mean, in all these little towns in the South of France, all these little daughters of Joseph is what we were originally called. Hmm. They popped up, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, the, the Bishop de Maupas in France, you know, sanctioned it, said it was okay. Um, but they popped up all over the place. And then we lasted until the French Revolution. If you know anything, all your history, I had to teach this to fourth graders as a novice. <laughs> Imagine a group of, you know, what, 10 year olds. They were not thrilled. And I was like, you want me to do what? Teach the French Revolution to fourth graders? Um, but it, we were disbanded because the French government disbanded all religious congregations. And so our sisters went to all corners and you, you think they, they would have, they would have just given up on this. Uh, we had a bunch of sisters die at it under the guillotine, uh, mm. because they wouldn't, they wouldn't profess that they weren't going to be sisters or they wouldn't profess allegiance to the state. Um, and we were refounded after the French revolution, uh, by mother St. John Fompon. And so she took a group of actually they were cloistered nuns who had no, you know, no leadership. And the bishop kind of gave them to her. And so she took these, they called them black widows. I think that's like a really, you know, it's a real tough name. Like, oh, that's the nice. black widows. They probably yeah. are like a motorcycle gang. Right. Uh, for God. <laughs> and so <laughs> for God. Look. For God. <laughs> Let me include that. Um, but she took them and and the congregation just exploded. You know, it grew and grew because this mission, this Ignatian mission of, you know, finding God in all things, the magis, like seeking the more and finding what are the needs of the day and how are we going to serve those? That just took on, like took off. Um, and so then we eventually came to the United States, uh, came to St. Louis in what, 1836. And from there, we spread out all over the United States. And people often, you know, people who are listening might say, oh, she's, you know, an SSJ. Well, there's also CSJs. And so when Father Jean-Pierre Madai founded us and we would go, you know, all these different cities, they were all independent. And so mm. it made it harder to disband sisters mm. that way. You know, you, you could snuff one group out, but there were all these other groups. And so uh, we kind of carried on that tradition. When we came to the United States, we came to St. Louis and then the branches from the tree, you know, there were just all these different communities. And it was before a time when you had initials after your name. So when that came about, certain groups took CSJ, other groups took SSJ, but we all are united by our Ignatian spirituality and mm -hmm. our charism that is rooted in um, the teachings of Jean-Pierre Madai, which are really, you know, rooted in all of his formation as a Jesuit. And so we live that through and through. And it's that, you know, that Jesuit friend of mine who said, you know, you're, you're Ignatian. And as soon as I met our sisters, I thought, oh, I know this. I know these women. Mm. Uh, I know this spirituality because I've already been formed in it. And so mm. I, I, I'm at home here. So sure. why not experience this? And I think people are hungry for it when you talk yeah. about, you know, people saying, oh, well, I don't want to be, I might not be called to be a Jesuit or a Jesuit, a Jesuit priest or a Jesuit brother um, to say, oh, but there's a whole charism family, you know, the, the gift that we share with the world, our charism, our mission. Um, you know, we say that about Sisters of St. Joseph. We have vowed members. We have sisters 
but we have associates, we have partners in mission who work with us. We have students at our universities uh, and our high schools, our academies all over the place. So we say there's a home for people in this spirituality. And I think that's what Ignatius would have wanted. Hmm. That's what Jean-Pierre passed on to us. Uh, and so to say to people, oh, if you find life here and you find God here, then there's no better place for you to be than living out you know, Ignatian spirituality in this way and finding life and expanding your life and horizons. Hmm. Even the way you describe those early, the early kind of six splitting up and, and going out to the the, the your neighbors. It's just the way you're talking too about your the work in Camden, not kind of coming in and just being like, okay, we're going to start this then or it's going to do this. But like in that period of discernment and those conversations and seeing like what what's being asked for and then accompanying as they kind of help lead it. Um, that to me is just such like, you could see that tradition like over the centuries. It just feels so so like in line with um, the charism. Um, the question about the habit. So were you, let's say St. Joseph, the first to be in a habit or among the first? Like, what, do you know anything about that? Just the, that sense of, I had no idea that that's where the, the idea of a habit came from. Well, it's a widow's garb. So we wouldn't have been the first in a habit. A cloistered, cloistered sisters would well, be in yeah, a habit. Too, sure. You know, right. so you can often tell sisters by their habit. Right. You know? um, when I first came to the congregation, sisters, we had... Uh, this is awful for an audio thing, but we had a triangle kind of on top of our head in four inches. Yeah. Uh, and so sisters would come up to me and frame my face and they'd say, you know, our older sisters in the infirmary, they'd right. frame my face and they'd say, oh, you'd make a good sister of St. Joseph. You would look good in the in habit. The, now, the now habit. we we could choose to wear the habit, but we, yeah. as sisters of St. Joseph, being in and among the people, mm -hmm. you know, we dress in modest, humble clothes so that right. we, you know, we can be with people. But sure. yeah, so we weren't the first, but that, when you look across re women's religious life, mm. It's the dress of the widow, um, sure. especially mm. for apostolic communities, sure. because they could we could blend in, right? Hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to go a little bit into a little bit more into some of this uh, the Ignatian roots. And one thing I think is really cool that I don't know much about, but have been pestering you to write for us about. But we're going to talk about it instead of your writing about it. Are the um, are these maxims? Uh, and I feel like they're. A couple of sets of them. There are these kind of short sayings um, that offer guidance to the sisters uh, and, and are kind of like foundational to your community. And so, could you like tell us a little bit about the maxims and then maybe pick like a couple favorites to share with us? Yeah, definitely. So, um, Jean Pierre Madai, because he was this preacher, you know, traveling preacher, um, he couldn't just like drop a book off and say like, oh, here's your rule. This is what you're going to do. So he summed up Ignatian spirituality and our rule as Sisters of St. Joseph, our constitutions, you know, he summed up all of our spirituality and our charism and our call in a hundred sayings that are called um, the maxims. And so there are different versions of them. There's the, the 100, you know, they call them the maxims of perfection. Uh, there's the maxims of love. There are all these sayings and they're kind of like a little fortune cookie. You know, it mm. might be one line or two. Uh, there are modern interpretations. If you look on the internet, you can see like we've had college students reimagine them mm. um, because they're written in a certain style of like 17th century. Sure. So some of them need some interpretation as right. you know, the, the spiritual exercises. That's why yeah, there are all sure. those annotations right. is it changes over time. Um, but we, you know, our first sisters used those sayings to learn what it meant to be a sister of St. Joseph. And so of the hundred sayings, it's kind of broken down into different sections. And so um, 
you know, the one section is about your relationship with God. One is about your relationship with your neighbor. And then one is about your relationship between yourself and God. So like probably loosely some, you know, other people argue, but loosely it's about, you know, 30, 30 and 30. Um, So the first, you know, the first couple of maxims give you an introduction to who we are. They're like a big summation. Um, Then the next 30 are what's your relationship with God or what's, what's God like period. Mm -hmm. The next one is, you know, what's your relationship with the neighbor. And then the last section is what's your relationship with God supposed to be like. And then the last like five, five to 10 sum up Mm. everything that you've learned. And so our sisters, you know, Back in the day, you know, earlier 20th century, they would memorize the maxims. And so they could, you know, you could go up to somebody and say, Maxim, what's Maxim 73? And they would be able to repeat it back to you. Now, Mm. in my own formation, uh, that was not a thing, but we still learn the maxims. They still guide who we are. Mm. Um, And they're helpful. Like they're they're helpful things. They're challenging Mm. um, in lots of ways because it's like a distillation of who we are and who we're called to be. but they're also helpful to people who aren't sisters of St. Joseph, because I think it's, it's a universal call, this call to relationship. Um, so I'm going to give you one. Okay. All right. So the first maxim, maxim number one okay. um, is keep always in mind the aim of your vocation, which is sublime and never do anything which contradicts the commitment to a life full of modesty, gentleness, and holiness. So that, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to like unpack, yeah. um, but it's basically what, what we're saying is, you know, the aim of your vocation, your vocation is sublime because each one of us is called by God. And so that in and of itself to say, I have a vocation, I have a call is sublime like that. And we're being made perfect. We're being made whole over time. So sublimation, it's all sciency, all of that, but that where that ends, you know, a life full of modesty gentleness and holiness. Um, they kind of, they can seem like antiquated terms like, mm. Oh, Oh, I don't know if I, if I actually like that, but right. got to go back to the French. So mm. like modesty, modeste, your, your daughter's taken French. We were talking about like, <laughs> so, um, that really is prudential judgment. It's discernment. Mm. So a life full of discern- discernment, um, is the first one. And then a life full of gentleness. So gentleness in French Dosur, which means a sweetness, um, which means an attention to beauty and harmony in our world. It's finding God in all things is what mm. it is. So like a life that is full of, so first off, discernment, second off, finding God in all things. And then the last one, holiness, which we understand as like a wholeness, you know, that everything is included in our vocation. And so we're called to holiness, which means being fully and truly ourselves in God. So- that's that's number one kind that of reminds, well about. no and it, it does it to me is like right like the first principle and foundation in the exercises right like what what are we here to do what do we what do we do what are we about like what do we how how do we use things how do we use our gifts or the things around us or and then how do we not like is this is this helping is this helping me be who I'm supposed to be and if not then maybe it's something that we set aside but like what comes down to those so I can see someone shaped by the exercises then kind of starting the set of maxims with, with that one. It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It comes back to it over and over again. And I'll give you another one. This is one when I was a volunteer. So when I first moved to Philadelphia, uh, I had never heard of the maxims. And 
so we were doing like orientation sessions and they printed a bunch of maxims out on a sheet of paper. And when I read this one, I, I like sat up straighter. I thought, oh, this is, this is like my maxim. You know, people mm. have, often have favorites. And so mm. this is maxim 16. In everything and everywhere, have only God, God's will and God's glory before your eyes and make no account of anything else. So there's something for me, like as somebody who was formed in Ignatian spirituality and formed by the Jesuits, that idea of like in everything and everywhere have only God, have only God before your eyes. And when we say that it's God's will and God's glory to do every all, AMDG, you know, <laughs> all for the greater glory of God and that attention to God's will to say like, oh, sometimes the thing that I think that I want or I need my own will is not in line with God's will. And so like we are constantly praying and saying, you know, God, help me understand your will so that I can do it in the world, you know, so that I can be a part of this larger thing. And so we dedicate ourselves in love to God, um, but it's keeping that before our eyes, that that's always our aim, no matter what we're doing. We have God before our eyes, God's will and God's glory. I feel like that reminds me of something. I feel like it's been a long time since I've taken philosophy, but Kierkegaard, like talking about like to will one thing and like the, that like that's, whether that's saintliness or kind of the, the calling or like what the, the holiest people, the people you know, like who you can name, who are like the ones like, oh, I want to be kind of like that person. There's something about them. The, the idea of like to, like to will the, like the one thing to have that, yeah. that kind of focus, which doesn't, again, it doesn't, as we know, like, both Sister St. Joseph, Jesuit, they weren't, they're not cloistered. So like to, to keep God in front of you like that, with that, that in front of your eyes, does not mean necessarily, it can mean a life of contemplation, but in this case, it's like the contemplation in, in action that it's, it's seeing that in, yeah. well, in all those different contexts and all parts of your life and not like kind of setting things aside. Like, oh no, this is not religious, quote unquote. You know? Yeah. And that, that last bit, like make no account of anything else. Like, because I think so often we like define ourselves by what we do. Mm. Like, you know, I'll, I'll tell you all the things that I do. And, you know, that's, that's where I find my worth and say, oh, no, no, no. Uh -uh. Your worth is in God and your worth is in doing God's will and in God's glory being proclaimed. And so you might feel like an utter failure in the thing that you did. To, like, there were so many days in Camden where I thought, what did I do? What did I do today? And to be able to sit down and say, you know, did I keep God before my eyes? Like before the eyes of my heart, was God my focus? Or was it, you know, was it the success of this project? Was it, you know, me looking good at that meeting? Hmm. No. If I if I make no account for anything else, I should be able to make account for God being glorified in in what happened today and God's will being done. And so sometimes that might look like less than ideal <laughs> might mm. not be what I pictured when I woke up this morning, but to not make account for the other things to say, it's the examine at the end of the day, you know, mm. where, where is God? Where was God today? Where might I have come up short and how can I be better mm. tomorrow? Sure. Um, so I think it returns us to that. So here's one. Uh, this one is like a, it's a classic, you know, okay. All right. this is one I, I often quote it's Maxim 52 uh, and it's interpret all things from the best possible point of view, or we'll often say interpret everything in the most favorable sense. Hmm. So it's tough to do because it's like if somebody's rubbing you the wrong way in community, um, hmm. or you meet somebody and they are just not, you know, 
you just don't get a good feeling for what's happened or, you know, they're short with you. The invitation of Maxim 52 is like, how can I interpret this in the most favorable sense? Like, can I take a step back and say, oh, maybe she was short with me because of something else that happened in her life or in her day, not even in her life. I mean, that might be an issue. Uh, but how do I interpret things most favorably? How do I give people the benefit of the doubt? Um, hmm. And it's that it's not Pollyannish to say like, oh, everything's great. Everything is in the most favorable sense. But to say like, oh, how do I give people some slack? Because God is interpreting everything in my life in the most favorable sense. I have to believe that. Sure. Um, you know, I yeah. think Jesus was doing that with his disciples, you know. So how do I take the best, the most favorable point of view? How do I take the best point of view on something um, and hold people accountable for things for sure? Uh, but I also hope that people do that with me. I hope that people interpret everything in the most favorable sense. Sure. I mean, that to me too is like, that's the Ignatian presupposition the Jesuits talk about mm -hmm. comes out of the, mm -hmm. the spiritual exercises. It should be presupposed that every good Christian ought to be more eager to put a good interpretation on a neighbor's statement than to condemn it. Um, mm -hmm. The sense that like when you're disagreeing, that like to think that you're all, you have like good heartedness, you're willing something that is that is good, even if you disagree. And when we, we as Jesuit conference wrote a document about civic engagement and like work in like politics. And that was like, right. as part of it. And like, we have forgotten, we do not do that. I feel like as Americans, like there is no yeah. supposing the good in others. It is starting like immediately with, okay, like, how are you wrong? And how am I, how's my view? Right. Um, oh yeah. Automatically. Like how, how am I putting up my defenses? How am I right. going to win this argument? Like, yeah. which is not, you can't build relationships if you approach things in that way. And if you, if you approach things saying like, I'm right, like I have, it's my will or, or no, it's my way or no, no way. Like, right. so if you approach things like that, that you're not, you're never going to get anywhere. Like, yeah. It's not productive. Yeah, for real. Well, these are three great hits from the Maxim. So they, they can be three and then we'll link to um, where people can find them online so they can go find their own and add to the, the greatest hits list. And I want to let you go in a minute, but before I do that, you get to do an advertisement for your brand new podcast that just dropped. I'm so excited to, to listen. And so, yeah, and I think people who are fans of AMDG will certainly be fans of your show. So tell us a little bit about uh, your new adventure in podcast land. Yeah. So we hope that everybody will listen. So the the podcast is called Beyond the Habit. It's myself and another sister, St. Joseph, Sister Erin McDonald. Um, and so it's about moving beyond everyday assumptions of what it means to be Catholic and live the gospel. Uh, and so it's us having conversations with interesting people. And so our first two episodes are Sister Helen Prejean of Dead Man Walking fame. Mm -hmm. But we also have uh, Mary Novak, who's the executive director of Network, the Catholic Social Justice Lobby. We have some people from the Ledato C movement, the Economy of Francesco, all in this first season. Um, but it's about having interesting conversations about what it means to be Catholic, what it means to live a life of faith, um, and to do that in the everyday. And so talking to people on who are experts on certain topics, but also talking to people who are experts on certain topics about things that you might not know about them. You know, what's what's Sister Helen Prejean's, you know, vocation story? How did she get to be who she is? Um, and then how does that influence her work for justice? Hmm. And so it's really about starting this conversation and, you know, moving beyond the assumptions or the habits that we have about sisters. You know, oftentimes uh, when people think of sisters or even people who are listening to this might think of like sisters of St. Joseph, 
as a certain thing and to say like, mm. oh, no, that doesn't help anyone to have an assumption about what it means to live the gospel or what it means to be Catholic, but to say, okay, how are each one of us living it in our particular way, making our way towards holiness? And so we're really excited about it. We're having great conversations with people and we hope that other people will join us on the journey. Um, listening, you get to know a little bit about myself and Aaron and our story, and then we bring other people into the conversation. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll link to that too. And um, that's such a cool project and idea of uh, the kind of way you're approaching it and framing. And um, yeah, so that'd be a lot of fun to follow. And uh, who knows, I, this is a good way, I mean, to do like a Jesuit SSJ crossover episode toward the beginning of your own run. That that makes me happy that we can uh, help promote uh, that great work uh, that you're doing there. So Beyond the Habit, and they can get that anywhere, any podcast platform, is that right? Can you find it anywhere? Anywhere you get, yep. Anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, you can get it, or you can go to beyondthehabitpod.com. Um, oh, you got a website a too. Platform, yeah. You can see yeah. all the previous episodes, um, fun facts about myself and Aaron. Um, so we'd invite people. And if you listen to us, you know, hit that subscribe button. <laughs> you learned. You, you're already right there. That's right. You got to. <laughs> you got to uh, beg for the the likes and uh, the subscriptions. Get that. Get that algorithm up. You know, high in the rankings, so exactly. people will find things. Saint Joseph never had to think about. I know, you know, right? Saint Joseph didn't have to think about getting subscribers, but <laughs> we would love people to to listen to what we have to share and, yeah. and just join us on the journey. Sure. Well, Sister Colleen, thank you so much for this time. It's been really fascinating learning about you and some history and uh, some great spirituality and St. Joseph and Advent. We covered a lot. So thank you so much for your willingness to, to jump in. Thanks so much, Mike. God bless. You too. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting Jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>